0: Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean, casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. Hi, how are you? Glad to be back today. Today, got a kind of a crazy, mixed-up, big show for you. Should be a lot of fun. Crappy Hippie is here. He brought Lazy Cody from Texas on to school him on the problems with fishing with lead. And Tim Beat is here, our fishing essayist, hard to say. And this week, he's going to talk about The River Runs Through It, kind of more serious approach to his normal, fun essays. Doc Martin gave us a new song parody about REIT. What's REIT? You'll have to wait and see. We're going to do a product review because I had a dog poop in my boat and I had to deal with that. And we're going to do the news. We're going to talk about jellyfish and chips and a lady who made friends with a fish. Should be a ton of fun. Stay with us. We're going to jump right into the action with our
2: effing essayist Tim Beat. Here's Tim. Most people who fish eventually get around to watching the 1992 film A River Runs Through It, starring Brad Pitt. The film is based on the Norman MacLean novel, which was published in 1976. The novel is semi-autobiographical and is about MacLean's relationship with his brother Paul and life in their Montana family in which, as MacLean writes, there was no clear line between religion and fly fishing. McLean's father was a Presbyterian minister. Like most books made into movies, the book is better, although the movie takes a lot of the dialogue straight out of the novel. The movie also has some beautiful fly-fishing scenes. While the movie is as much about family relationships as fly-fishing, it had a huge impact on the sport. In 1992, when the movie first came out, fly-fishing grew in popularity by 60% followed by another 60% increase in 1993. More than 20 years later, while I was on a fly-fishing float trip with a guide in Colorado, one of the first things he told me was, We'll be nymphing today. Most of my clients hate that because they want to cast like Brad Pitt and a river runs through it. The movie has clearly endured. The movie Grumpy Old Men didn't have the same impact on ice fishing, But then, dropping a minnow through a hole in the ice does not have the same cinematic quality of shadow casting a dry fly for rising trout. A River Runs Through It features some gorgeous writing, too, some of the best I have ever read. It includes lines such as, On the Big Blackfoot River above the mouth of Belmont Creek, the banks are fringed by large ponderosa pines. In the slanting sun of late afternoon... The shadows of great branches reached from across the river, and the trees took the river in their arms. The shadows continued up the bank until they included us. Grumpy old men, on the other hand, had lines such as, When I had my ulcers, I was farting razor blades. Not quite the same artistic quality, but at least there was fishing in it. There's some interesting trivia regarding the movie A River Runs Through It. Brad Pitt wasn't actually the one casting during most of the scenes, although he trained to fly fish for a month before filming. Because he lived in Los Angeles during that time, he practiced fly fishing on a rooftop, not in a river. There's no record of how many pigeons he caught. Another piece of trivia is that in some scenes when Pitt had a fish on his line, it was actually a half-gallon milk jug with some rocks in it. That's too bad because in Montana, a milk jug has to be a gallon to be a keeper. And while the movie is set in Missoula, Montana, it was filmed in other Montana towns. After all, who wants to advertise your secret fishing holes in a movie seen by millions of people? The last two paragraphs of the novel are the same as the ending of the movie. The two paragraphs immediately resonated with me the first time I read them. This is what they say. Now nearly all those I loved and did not understand when I was young or dead, but I still reach out to them. Of course, now I am too old to be much of a fisherman, and now of course I usually fish the big waters alone, although some friends think I shouldn't. Like many fly fishermen in western Montana, where the summer days are almost arctic in length, I often do not start fishing until the cool of the evening. Then in the arctic half-light of the canyon, all existence fades to a being with my soul and memories in the sounds of the Big Blackfoot River and a four-count rhythm and the hope that a fish will rise. Eventually all things merge into one, and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood and runs over rocks from the basement of time. On some of the rocks are timeless raindrops. Under the rocks are the words, and some of the words are theirs. I am haunted by waters. That last line is what really gets me. I am haunted by waters. Some literary critics will tell you the line means that the river is a metaphor for memories, which, like a river, can run deep. While that explanation is plausible, it sounds like something said by a person who doesn't fish— and isn't haunted by waters in a more literal sense. There is something mystical about water that has always drawn me to it. Whenever I have lived too far from water, the haunting grows stronger. Perhaps that's why I can see a pond from my kitchen table as I write this. It's the water that makes me feel at home. When we first looked at the site of our house, my wife will tell you it was the pond in which I was most interested, not the house. And when my five-year-old daughter told me the pond looked like a shape of a half a heart, I had matching hats made for us, embroidered with the words, Half-Heart Pond Fishing Resort and Outfitters. As long as I can remember, if I saw a pond or river, I had to get a closer look. If I'm walking across a bridge, I always peer over the edge, looking for shadows or movement below the surface. If I don't have a rod with me at the time, it makes me feel a little sad, a little haunted, that I couldn't become one with the river. And if I'm driving over a bridge with a river underneath, I always get in the right lane so I can get the best view of the water below. A few weeks ago, I was wading in a creek over which there was an old train trestle that's now a bike path. I'd been wading the creek since before dawn, catching smallmouth bass and enjoying the beauty of the fog slowly burning away as the sun came up. As I fished, I saw a dozen people walk and bike over that bridge without ever once looking down at the water. How can that be? Not everyone is haunted by water. Wading is my favorite way to fish because you actually become one with the river. Surrounded by the sound of bubbling and gurgling, the feel of your feet on the rock bottom, the pressure of the current. I have a lot of Zoom video calls for work and usually use a background photo I took standing in the middle of the Mad River near downtown Dayton, Ohio. In the meetings, people always ask if I'm on vacation and where the photo is from because it's so beautiful. They're surprised that it was taken in an urban setting. Often you have to immerse yourself in something to see its real beauty. I know that's true for rivers. And often you have to be haunted by something to be willing to immerse yourself in it. Most of my memories of fishing are really memories of the water. The way the sun hits the mist at the bottom of a waterfall. The way foam gathers in pools. The way an eddy can be mesmerizing to watch the sound when a fish slurps the surface as it takes down a fly. To be honest, sometimes when I'm waiting, I find that I haven't made a cast in five or ten minutes, and I've just been standing there, listening, looking, thinking. I'm sure if somebody looked down at me from the bike path bridge, they'd say, what the heck is that guy doing just standing in the middle of a river? But standing in the middle of a river is just the kind of thing someone does who is haunted by water. It's something I do, and I suspect it's something you do too, and I know it was something Norman MacLean did, so I'll close with his own words. Poets talk about spots of time, but it is really fishermen who experience eternity compressed into a moment. No one can tell what a spot of time is until suddenly the whole world is a fish and the fish is gone.
1: Gosh, I love that Tim Beat and his essays. Thanks, Tim, so much for being part of the Fish Nerds. We really do appreciate you making us sound a little bit smarter every month. Thanks for doing that for us. Next up, crappy hippie heads down to Texas with Lazy Cody. This is part one of his interview where he helps Lazy Cody understand why fishing with lead is a poor choice, and you're going to hear about how uh, how Lazy Cody has some great questions about lead fishing. Why is some states are okay, why is it not okay in others? And you're going to hear a crappie hippie talking about his history of lead fishing and how he switched over to fishing without lead. And it's really kind of one of our the fish nerds thing we've been doing for years is encouraging people to do two things: one, stop fishing with lead, and two, eat diverse fishes. So both things are going to happen on this week's Show stay tuned. Here is the crappie hippie. Thanks, John. Hello, Fish
3: Nerd Nation. This is crappie hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas. And tonight on Fish Nerd Nation Insider, we have another Fish Nerd Facebook group friend that puts up a lot of content and has a couple questions on lead-free fishing. Everybody say hello to Lazy Cody. How are you doing tonight, Cody?
0: Uh, I'm doing pretty good, John. It's uh, It's good to be here.
3: Awesome, 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 okay, so you contacted me on Facebook, and you uh were talking about you know you understand about the loon and um the idea of animals eating uh, small uh, discarded um mm-hmm. lead, but you were um well, I don't want to put words in your mouth tell us tell us where where you're at with your questions on uh the effects of lead in the environment from fishing
0: well, I mean, I live down here in Texas, and uh you know we don't have any kind of laws against using lead weights and whatnot, I listen to the show a lot and, uh, you know, I've been following it and hearing clay talk about it and you guys talk about it. I'm just kind of interested to find out a little bit more about the effects of how lead might be, you know, hurting the waters down here. Um, you know, you guys up there have loons. I don't know of them around here. I've never seen loon. Um, and as far as I know, it doesn't hurt any of the birds here. But, you know, I'm also concerned for, you know, long-term effects. Like, is this stuff actually going to get into the water? I know it's bad if it, if it gets inside you. And, you know, I, I would just like to know more about the effects of it getting into the water and, and hurting our, our wildlife and us.
3: Okay, well, um, you feel free to cut in at any time because um, I've spent uh, a lot of time from uh, 2015 on, um, doing presentations for groups of people talking about the effects of lead in the environment. So, um, the potential for me to just ramble on seamlessly is there, but you feel free to, you feel free to, to break it up and, and put something in, uh, when, uh, what I say uh, tr- yeah. g- makes you want to ask a question. Okay. Now, first of all, the loon is basically just a poster child for the whole lead free movement. Um, the reason they legislated, um, the, uh, lead in the five northeast states that would be Maine, of course our beloved New Hampshire, uh, Vermont, New York, and Massachusetts uh, was because, like for example, Massachusetts was the first one to do it because they got down to having only two breeding pairs, two or four breeding pairs of loons in the whole state. And so there was an urgency there uh, and a direct link between lost lead tackle and the demise of the loon was shown uh, to be uh, strong enough that the legislator took it on, uh, with a law. And what that, what they began to find out is that neighboring states were also benefiting from, um, Massachusetts law as Massachusetts, uh, loon population began to recover. Um, we, they noticed that there was an increase of loons in neighboring states. And so when these neighboring states saw that the loon was, was benefiting from these laws, they went ahead and followed suit. Now, New York and Maine's laws are so wimpy, they, they really don't help much. Um, I'm not going to get a big, long tirade about why, if we want to. We can cover that in a minute. But they do help or at least establish environmental mindset. And when uh, I come in contact with people like you, that are like, hey, you know, I want to know more about this. I want to know more about the, the effects on the environment stuff. It, it, it's really um, makes me happy and makes me motivated to keep on Doing what I do. Um, but no, loons are not the only shorebird that is affected by lead. It's just the it's just the 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 poster poster bird. So you move into places like Michigan, um, and places like that, they're taught they're more concerned with swans, for example. Um, uh, puddle ducks uh can fall prey to loon just the same way they fall prey to the lost lead shot and the demise of puddle duck populations and uh uh, was one reason that uh, we started to ban uh, lead shot clear back in the 80s. Um, and so if they can fall, you know, accidentally scoop up um, lead shot, they're certainly uh, prone to scooping up a lost split shot or a lost And the jig. birds
0: are doing that, like, to, It's. I mean, it's part of their digestion, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, there's two reasons. They're, they're scooping gravel to, because, yeah, their digestion, they need some pebbles in their crop to help them grind up the seeds and, and things, and bones of fish, and so on that they eat.
0: like my favorite part of the bird is the gizzard, like. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Me, I like them too. I do. Um, I'm a sucker
0: for a good fried gizzard.
3: Oh, yeah, man. That's awesome. Um, Then, but, and of course, uh, loons, and and birds like herons, and uh, grebes, and cormorants, and the list goes on and on. If it's a fish eater, and it sees a lost jig stuck in a log, it's going to just like a fish, it's going to think that's something to eat, just like a fish might think it's something to eat. So we find jigs and we find some lead lures inside of different, uh, birds. And so there's two main reasons there that they get it is through ingestion. So we lose, you know, it's hard to say there there's studies that suggest we lose, you know, at least millions of birds. Um, uh, you know, the Audubon society says, you know, six to 10 million, you know i don't really know the you know projection models can only take you so far but um the thing is it's got to be doing something because we lose on oh to the tune conservatively speaking Coda, we lose a, about 2000 tons of lead tackle every year um into our rivers lakes and coastal waters and that's a statistic that's based on 50 million fishers losing a half ounce of lead a season so if you think a half ounce of lead. Well, that's you know.
0: Um, I mean, depending on where you are, I, I could see you know a lot of people, if you're fishing a lot, uh, you know, losing quite a few. Um, that was one of the other things that I was wondering about. Like up in Mass or New Hampshire and stuff, it's they had a, a regulation there. the what the it it included you know weights that are lower, but not the
3: but not the heavy ones. Yes. They're oh, yeah. there.
0: What's going on with that? Like,
3: Well, um, what the deal is, is that the idea is that if a weight is too big for the bird to swallow, then we don't need to ban it because the law is based on animal ingestion. Yeah. And That's
0: kind of what um, I, the core of my question really was, was, you know, I was just wondering, is it, is it dissolving in the water as well? I mean, it, that has to do with pH level. I know it,
3: but, it can do with pH level. Yeah. It can also do with what else is coming in you know, contact. How, how with
0: likely it? is it that the weights that we're fishing with are going to, you know, end up dissolving in the water or something like that? That's well, what my mind was wondering.
3: Well, it's a good question um, because, all right, first of all, lead is very stable. All right. We understand that. We also understand that, heavier items will migrate down into the soil but of course they can also might do the other thing and migrate back up um but is while is stable it does degrade in the water or we wouldn't be having things like the flint michigan episode and i don't even you know know about the call i
0: know it can happen as long as depending on the ph level of the water it, it you know it can dissolve as it yeah understand. it can i mean
3: Yeah. And so when you consider that you take a particle the size of a grain of table salt, ordinary fine salt, um, that's going to have an effect on your body. And if you up that to two grains, that effect will be permanent and you may even start to show symptoms. Um, We don't want to have lead in the water in any amount. And both the um, uh, CDC and uh, the uh, EPA recognize that there is no safe lead level in water when it comes to kids.
0: Like for drinking and, and whatnot. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And
3: Absolutely. of course, I don't know about you, but I'm not really down with this whole government corporate oh, that's a safe level of contaminant. I don't want other people deciding how much crap they can put into my system just to keep some business going somewhere. Um, and so that's why, you know, we're we're all of a sudden really tired of having mercury in our water, and that's why I, fossil fuels are being uh, pushed out. Um, We are really looking at plastics now that we realize that basically there's no uncontaminated water anywhere on the planet because of the plastic microplastics moving through the air. You know, I used to think that, uh, well, you know, when Doc Martin had her study about there's microplastics in the Flint Hills, which is one of our more pristine environments in Kansas, I was like, how in the heck are they getting in those little streams in the Flint Hills? Well, it turns out it doesn't flowing there from a factory or from people dumping it it's coming out of the air and we're breathing yeah, so this I, stuff i think in. i
0: saw a link that doc martin shared about that recently
3: yeah she's she, um so we're looking at so my deal with lead is that any amount is not good and the problem with fishing and lead is that you know um uh, tons which as we've just we're talking about very conservative very very conservative estimate i mean that's only losing four eighth ounce jigs in a season um, for a half ounce per angler. And, you know, my crappie catching friends just laugh and go, shoot, I I lost, you know, that many last time I went and I go, you know, 20, 30 times a year. Um, but I like to be on the conservative side. So I pick the most conservative, um, statistic generator on that. Uh, but the the deal is, is that what we concentrate the lead where we fish and we fish in natural places. We fish at the lake, uh, you know, one of the best crappie lakes, uh, in Kansas is right down the road, you know, five minutes from my house, Uh, but it's also a water supply Lake. And I'm kind of envious. One thing about New York is they're really strict about um, what goes into water supply lakes. Um, they they will have, uh, you know, more strict bans on um, what you can do in terms of boating and what you can um, do, have with you. Uh, The main uh, water supply Lake for New York is Ashokan Reservoir. You have to row your boat. You can't take a trolling motor out there because you might lose your battery. You sure as heck can't take an outboard out there because of the inevitable leakage of oil and so forth Um, and uh, very protective. So when you think about water supply and, and, and lead from anglers, you know, there, there's an issue there too. And you're starting to find what are called designated waters, even in states like Minnesota and Michigan that have looked at the doing lead free laws and then, decided not to um and california is real big on this they don't have a statewide ban, but they have lots and lots of waters that are designated lead free just to keep the water clean
0: factories and stuff that are making it have got to be you know a big source and and i'm sure there's other sources that are even more of a danger but at at the same time you don't want the thing that's your hobby to be you know hurting the thing that you love the most right right
3: Well, I agree. I agree. In fact, I'm, you know, this is uh, this lead free uh, movement is pretty much the last uh, last big deal for me. I'm going to stick with it and keep after it because I'm finding a big, uh, you know, a lot of sympathy all over the country. I'm not in favor of legislating lead because I believe that most anglers are like you, Cody. I think they'll switch if we can give them a fair choice. Um, and people you can listen to one uh episode 203 of fish nerds uh, clay and i have a long discussion um one of the first shows i co-hosted and when he officially made me a correspondent which was such an exciting honor but to, to be truthful yes it's um you know like water gremlin got busted last year for um, they they are the biggest ma- you know handler and and, and uh, producer of lead products uh in the country of and one of the biggest in the world and they got busted for um uh, because lead contamination was showing up in the homes and the blood of kids of people who worked there so clearly their decontamination for the workers wasn't uh either being followed or enforced or but somehow and then when they tested the ground around the facility they found there was massive leakage and so on and this was came from yeah. A lead lining certain, type of, I mean, yeah, certain types of pipes and so on, but they do make
0: inside you, you. You definitely don't want it there. Uh, no, definitely don't. Uh, uh, I mean, there, I don't think there's any,
3: but, um, you know, getting back to, um, you know, what, what, uh, contamination can do. My daughter went to school in Poughkeepsie. She went to Vassar and the Hudson river runs right there. And because of the different mills and the different, um, contaminants in the water and we're not talking lead here so much as things like PCBs and, Oh, just some, some bad stuff. You know, they're, they're actually, you know, the soil in the riverbed is so contaminated that they're looking at putting different sealants, different, um, you know, asphalt, concrete, uh, rubberized asphalt, you know, something in there to actually, they, they can't clean the the soil and to try uh, to prevent it from from yeah from getting run. into the water and contaminating you know all these great fish runs of course still happen in the hudson and oh my god i mean you you know texas is is, is an amazing state and and i i dig my hardworking uh, wildlife department here in kansas but they don't have near the headaches that the uh, people in new york have uh, you're regulated and and in the northwest too um, um the other state there's six states that have Uh, lead free fishing laws. And the other one is, is Washington uh, on the other end of the country. Um, These, these States are, it's pretty much, you know, body of water by body of water. And you look at the regulations for the Hudson river and it's from this point to this point, you can't keep fish from this point to this point, you know, it's okay. Uh, From this point or, you know, in this season, you can't keep fish because the salmon run up through the contaminated part and then spawn and then
0: Just awful. Yeah. I mean, co- you any know, you go anymore. You pretty much, you better, you better check, uh, yeah, absolutely. You're the fish out of that water.
3: No, it's crying. Shanks
0: it is, you know, I mean, there's, there's, uh, there, there's contaminated waters, uh, down around the coast, especially in all around actually. Oh yeah. Well, there's not You're this is why,
3: um, you Mercury, know, Mercury red Talbot's going to, you know, chime in. And, and unfortunately, uh, where he lives, he's a Mainer, and uh, and and Clay's always concerned about this because um, New Hampshire, you know, has one of the highest rates of childhood cancer per capita. And you're going, well, you have all these, you know, pristine um, streams and all this stuff. And Poland uh, Water Company has bought the rights to murder one of their aquifers to make Poland bottled water. Um, but it's not stuff that's in the water. It's just that the the Northeast is kind of the tailpipe. For the flow of, of air across the United States, and so a lot of this coal coal um, um, atmospheric crap that's you know in Kansas ends up getting condensed and pushed you know right through New Hampshire and Maine, and uh, this is one of Rhett's big things. Is you really got even if you're out in the pristine Maine wilderness. You've got to watch what you eat. You know, my daughter told me, it's like, Sarah, I eat fish from the pond. It's okay. She's like, dad, why don't you take and have them tested? Because I guarantee there's trace amounts of mercury.
0: You know, I just blew my mind completely, completely blew it. Um, I I didn't realize it really until, you know, kind of recently when I I, I did look up on parks and wildlife here in in Texas. And yeah, man, I mean, even around some of the local lakes here, uh, you know, it's only recommended you can eat so much ounces you know per month or whatever kids pregnant women should need it at all exactly and and we shouldn't we shouldn't
3: have to live in a world um where that's going on and i'm i'm hoping um we're we're going to drive drive forth you know to to change because someone's you know quote unquote right to make money um is not to take precedent or you know your actual right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, but getting back life to a cu- first. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. so. That's why they listed first. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's my concern, you know, get back to your original question that got us together tonight yeah. is that if we concentrate enough lead, you know, in any, any place we're going to damage, even though it may not be testing high in the water, high enough to meet what uh, some agency uh, decides is a, a, unhealthy level of contamination um i think most people would say any level of contamination is is bad uh, it's kind of easy to make people that live over there in that state or live over there in that environment oh well you know i it's okay There, the the levels of this contaminant are underneath the the agencies uh, allowable limit we but we
0: would all agree if if it's not necessary why would we run any risk
3: exactly and 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 when it's you know when you know, once again, I, you know, I think we're both in the same vein because, you know, we've, you know, ninety some percent of people don't need laws. They're just good people. They want the best for everybody. And we get, we get deceived. We get uh, jerked around. We get uh, intimidated. Oh, we got it. We've got to be, allow this factory to stay open or everybody's going to lose their jobs. There's ways to solve all this stuff. But my thing is that, you know, we're finding like in, in um, guys that have upland game preserves and they let people come in and, uh, hunt and um and their little private sporting clubs and so forth well some of these clubs have been in business for you know 70 80 years or even you know 30 40 years they're finding that the soil is getting because uh, of course in upland game they, they can still use lead shot but now they're finding the soil is getting you know contaminated if you just this is the thing if we keep because we only do our we don't do our our gig everywhere we're not out um you know, you know, our stuff's down at the lake. When we fish at the park, you know, our stuff's down at the lake. It's not going to get spread throughout the park. It's going to get concentrated on the lake's pond or, uh, I mean, the the park's pond or lake. And uh, that's what you really have to, you know, ask yourself. Yes, lead is fairly stable. Yes, lead degrades slowly. Yes, you know, water tests may indicate that it's not a big problem now. But when you look at the fact that we've put, hundred and fifty thousand tons of this stuff in our environment since these products began to be mass produced. And when you look at the fact it's that go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta you know,
0: go somewhere. How many years have we been fishing with it? You know, I I know it's it's heavy, so it's probably well right there. You know, a good portion of it's probably still at the bottom. Maybe yeah, there's some layers of sediment or whatever, but it's gotta it's
3: you know, there. It's
0: not disappearing, you know. No, it's not
3: gonna disappear. Oh. And and this is another
0: area where I get so excited. I, I hate to
3: Okay, that concludes part one of my interview with Lazy Cody, one of our active participants on the Fish Nerd Facebook group. He contacted me, wanted to ask a few questions about lead contamination in general. And we talked about the direct link between lost lead and wildlife. But as we both got into, there's a larger question there as to what does all this left behind lead do to our natural places? How does it affect contamination in the water? And basically, why should we put up with it? Now, remember, fishing lead is concentrated in the streams, in the waterways. It's not just spread all over everywhere. And while glasswater angling and people like Cody uh, maybe aren't in favor of making legislation the first thing we do because we believe that people will change if we give them a fair choice, and that's what my company is working toward, have a comprehensive fair choice for anglers to make the switch to lead-free. I will not be told, Cody will not be told, and I know a lot of you will not be told that, hey, you just have to put up with contamination or, hey, this isn't really a serious problem or isn't a problem at all. It is a problem. There's a direct link between lead lost in fishing and wildlife demise. That's proven. Now, as far as its effect on humans, uh, do we want to wait till it's messing up the kids? Do we want to wait until it's messing up with you and me? I mean, who gets to decide this stuff? Who gets to decide that you should put up with a level of contamination? Who decides that how much is okay in interest of someone who just wants to make money? Who decides how much of our environment we have to lose irrevocably because they just got to make some cash? And they scare people with saying job loss, income loss, lifestyle loss. And they do whatever. Well, I'm not here to scare you. I'm not here to... uh be an alarmist but i will tell you that i will not accept the position that there is no problem because it is a problem and i hope you uh, found that borne out by some of the things we said tonight so we talked a lot about general contamination from lead and our attitude about it um, the fun thing is that the next part of this interview is going to be all about how fishing lead free is going to make you a better angler it's going to make you a better thinker it's going to Preserve your ability to tackle craft all you want. Um, but I'm here to tell you, I started fishing lead-free in 2011. And not only do I not miss it, but I am doing better than ever in my life. And I fish with wire baits. I fished with lead baits 80% of the time for the past 45 years. But not the past 45 years. So take nine away from that and um, 36 years. 30. Nobody on Fish Nerds can do math. 35 years. oh my goodness where is zoe where is sammy somebody help me do this math let's see i started fishing when i was three i'm 58 now that means i've fished for 45 years and i mean 55 years okay yes 55 years that's right not 58 years i did not start fishing the day i was born although i probably would have if i could have okay so and so nine years that's 46 plus nine is 55 so 46 years fishing with lead and nine fishing without and i'm telling you i'm not looking back haven't looked back a bit um thank you sammy thank you zoe for channeling me the answer we do have a mental connect that does not fail Anyhow, Cody and I, Cody likes to craft tackle, too. He does jigs. I do jigs. I know a lot of y'all out there do jigs and other things with wire baits and lead and this and that. Well, come along and give us a listen next time because we'll tell you about how we can do some things with lead-free materials and get you a more versatile tackle box and um, an excuse to go out and just buy more tackle. So, until next time, this is Crappy Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck, saying tight lines and valentines. Peace out. The sporting fisher not only respects the resource, but has a big concern for how their activities affect the environment. At Glasswater Angling, we make lead-free fishing tackle to help fishers leave a smaller footprint on the natural world when they ply their craft. Not only do we offer outstanding original designs, like our double underspins, crappie douler, and angle king, but we help anglers replace their existing lead tackle with products like our bismuth jig heads and hand-tied jester jigs. Whether you are exploring a far country wilderness or casting at the local lake, lead-free is the way to be, and Glasswater Angling is here to help. Glasswater Angling for a better outdoors. Makers of lead-free fishing tackle. Shop now at glasswaterangling.com.
1: It's it's time for Fish in the News here on the Fish Nerds podcast. Thanks for tuning in on uh, however you listen. We're now everywhere. Here's some news. We are now on Amazon. So Amazon Music now has the Fish Nerds. And we are on IMDB, which is the Internet Movie Database. Fish nerds are now officially a thing on the Internet. We've hit the big time. Someday we might make big time (laughs) salaries. So we'll see. But let's jump into the news. Our first news is from Australia. G'day. We like Australia. Our friend Luke Chamings down there. Hello, Luke. All right. So here is a story from this. This is from uh, Channel 9 News in Australia. The headline, jellyfish and chips, consumers urge to seek sustainable options as researchers find dozens of endangered species being fished. Australians are being urged to rethink their eating habits, with new research finding dozens of endangered species still being fished. This is a problem, by the way, that's worldwide, and the fishers have been on it from the beginning of the podcast, because we we really think you need to think different about eating your fish. Instead of classics like fish and chips, they are being urged to switch to sustainable alternatives like jellyfish and chips it's true researchers from the university of queensland have warned that 92 endangered species and 11 critically endangered species are being industrially fished in oceans around the world this is not new information many consumers in australia wrongly eat industrial industrial it's hard to word industrial produced fish thinking it has been produced sustainably uh, this is Miss klein is the study author uh Fish species often listed on restaurant menus, which raise the alarm, include cod and flake. Flake is a catch-all term for shark meat. And this is on an aside for me here, by the way. Cod on a restaurant menu is rarely cod. Usually it's whatever white fish of the day. Most people couldn't tell cod from haddock, from hake, from any other white fish, pollock, whatever. It all kind of tastes like whatever batter you put on it and fry it. So Cod and flake are two things to look out for. Uh, this is a quote here. It's really hard to know what you're buying, and that's a huge problem with seafood labeling laws and the whole supply chain. That's what the researchers are saying. If you're selling cooked seafood, you can just call it fish, which is, counts, counts as thousands and thousands of species. Flake is a huge problem in Australia. There are a few types of sharks that are doing well, um, but the school shark that's critically endangered, that's part of this, and they gets mixed right in with their flake and chips when you order flake and chips, creating more sustainable fisheries can take many forms. And researchers point out that jellyfish are a good source of protein and are far more abundant than many fish species. And in Asia, I know that jellyfish is commonly eaten. Uh, the problem, I think, with jellyfish is it probably doesn't taste like anything. Uh, but the research is really the goal here is to get people to think differently about, uh, about fish. And it was it just ethically sourced. Uh, is it ethically caught, and is it an ethical thing to eat? And they really want you to think about three questions when you're talking about, uh, talking about, I'm going to say two questions, so I lost one of them. <laughs> but they want to know what is a species, where was it caught, and how was it caught? Those are the three things they want you to look for. And that's really good. Uh, the more lo- the, Conceptually, the more local your fish is, the easier it is to trace it to its source. So if you don't know where your fish is coming from, uh, it, odds are really good that you... You will never know either way whether you're eating a sustainable fish or not. Um, So get it local, uh, get the right species, and learn to diversify your fishes. That's really the big takeaway here. Um, I would totally eat jellyfish and chips, but I would not eat a peanut butter and jellyfish sandwich. My daughter, Sammy, thinks that's a good idea. I think it's a really poor choice. I'm not going to do it. Sorry, Sammy. There it goes. Three, two. Our next story comes all the way from Minnesota. And this is from care with a K11.com. You can watch this video here. The headline Woman and Sunfish Form a Five Year Friendship on Minnesota Lake. And it is exactly as delightful as it sounds. I'm actually going to play the audio from this uh, and I'll pause it every so often and add some commentary. It's a new trick for me. I'm playing with my new uh, mixer board that was bought from our Patreon subscribers. Thank you to all you help us out on Patreon for this. Uh Uh-oh. You can control. They're going to make me watch an advertisement every time I hit pause, I think. (laughs) So stay tuned. So let me tell you the basics. So this lady in Minnesota met a sunfish, fell in love. They got married. They had sunfish babies. It was delightful. That's not the story. Here we go.
4: Most of our encounters with sunfish come oh. at the end of a line. That's true. Digging
5: for worms for a treat for Greenie.
4: Holly Jorgensen has encounters of another kind.
1: The sunfish Area. is called Greenie. Guess what kind
5: of sunfish Holly is?
4: Wasn't looking for a pal when she first locked eyes with the green sunfish. Hey Greenie, just off her dock.
5: But he looked at me like I've
4: never had a fish look at me. From fish eyes, Can you jump? came a friendship.
5: There you go. That he noise was the fish jumping like out of
1: the water, fish.
6: eating a worm.
5: You saw that he just acts different from other fish.
4: There you go. Even before Holly began serving snacks, Greeny <laughs> would be waiting at the dock. Why sweet. he,
5: in particular, recognizes me and looks at me the way he does and follows me around, I don't know, but it's wonderful.
1: I feel like she's doing love projecting
4: after ice out for five straight. Years.
5: And I go, wow, he made it through another through another winter.
4: Greenie isn't alone in Holly's lake. See,
5: they're all getting friendly now.
4: But is the only fish we saw that appeared to relish a chin rub. Yeah. Hi, sweetie. Holly asked that we not divulge the location of her lake. It was spot-burning. For burning. obvious reasons.
5: Actually, last Friday night, he showed up, and he had a hook in his mouth. And my heart just sank. And oh, I just very, very Greeny. carefully backed it out and put them back in the water, and went, whoa, and then we were both relieved.
4: When Holly swims to the other side of the lake, Greeny's been known to tag along.
5: People complain about, you know, no entertainment, no movies, no bars, no restaurants, I could care less. You know, I've got this, it's a better. Here it (laughs) comes.
4: So enamored, Holly wrote Greeny, a poem. To Uh-oh. have a
5: friend who's not like me is to swim in the sky and fly in the sea.
4: I she titled her poem, <laughs> Diversity. <laughs> I like diversity. Sharing
5: someone else's I don't world. like poetry.
4: <laughs> Sunfish remain a nice catch. Them. But in the most stressful of years, Greeny gives Holly Jorgensen
5: you're the boss, aren't you?
4: her release. You're the boss. Boyd Hooper, Carol Evan News,
1: somewhere in Minnesota. All uh, right. That was delightful. Now, I'm not going to rain on her parade because I would do that. I would go out. I would make friends with a sunfish. But the question is, is the sunfish really her friend? Does it really care about her at all? Or is she projecting her own emotions onto the sunfish? And we all know the answer is it's a fish, right? Uh, well, we think it's a fish. I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess I'd Um, Some people would say the fish have emotions and feelings, and this is a good example of that. I think this is a very good example of classical conditioning. She just taught the fish in order to get these treats from her. It would have to follow her around and eat and have a good time. Now, when I was a science teacher, we did this experiment. We had an aquarium full of fish and a couple of largemouth bass in there. And I had a student uh, basically make friends with a largemouth bass by hand feeding it every day. And it got to the point where that bass would recognize her, specifically her, like as an individual, and would go crazy when she walked in the room and didn't recognize the other students. So, you know, there is that possibility, some good conditioning going on. There is a remote possibility that this fish actually has feelings and emotion and cares about it, according to um, Don- Dr. Jonathan Balcombe. Fish do have emotions. I don't really buy it. Doc Martin, I'm sure, would agree with me. That's kind of bunk. But, what fun. Why rain on her parade? Seems like a really good time. By the way, the according to her, this fish has been following her around for five years. I did a little Googling, and the lifespan of a green sunfish is five to seven uh, years. So, excuse me, correction, four to six years. I had that off by one. So uh, Greenie is old, so she might as eat him now. Just gonna say that, going to put that out into the world, and that is fish in the news. Yeah. yeah, going to do a product review. I don't do a lot of product reviews. We don't have a lot of advertising or virtually no advertising on this show. We support our friends like the crappie hippie and his lead free lures. But in general, I'm a terrible salesperson, so I don't sell ads. But I do want to talk about a product. And I'm going to tell you a story first and why this product became important in my world. So I got, I'm a fishing guide on a pontoon boat. And this year, almost all my trips have been on, um, on Silver Lake, and almost nobody wanted to go fishing. They wanted to go tubing or swimming or doing what you do on a pontoon boat, partying. And so I picked up a group of kids um, from their dock. They live on the lake, and their parents hired me to take the kids out tubing. So we put them on the boat. I got my dog, Ruthie the Wonder Dog, on the boat. She's a Blue Heeler uh, Husky mix. And we're having a great time tubing. There's six kids on the boat. Uh, lovely, lovely time. And then, you know, like 25 minutes into the tubing... You know, the kids are screaming, having fun. And then we hear a different kind of screaming, like, oh, gross. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. What happened there? Turns out Ruthie, in the very center of the front deck of the pontoon boat, s- squatted and just dropped a giant loaf on the middle of the deck, just a steaming pile of fun for all the kids to see. And they're all grossed out and stuff. So I, I stopped the boat. And I got to figure out, what do I do with this giant pile of dog turd? <laughs> so I have all the kids go to the very bow of the boat and stand on the rails. That's pushing enough weight to get the boat facing downhill. I picked up the poop in a plastic bag and put it in my trash can. And then I had to use a five-gallon bucket to to wash the deck. Uh, and <laughs> and so I did that. It took like six buckets of water. And then I had to get wet wipes out and clean the whole deck. And it was a real terrible terrible experience. So I decided that day I need a washdown pump on my boat. I wanted to be able to grab a garden hose and clean the deck of the boat out and move on. So I went on Amazon and I found the cheapest one I could find on Amazon that would do the job. And that was the Jabsco 82505 hotshot 5.0, five gallon per hour, GPH. Is that gallon per hour? I have no idea. Washdown pump. And I went on Amazon and I read some reviews. I'll read you those reviews here. Uh, here's a one star um, review. There's no warranty, so that's one star. <laughs> Another one star review. What else will I need to set this up on my boat? Uh, so that's uh, not a helpful review here. And here's one more. Not happy. Missing all those connecting fittings. Have to buy more parts at the store for price. You think they should? All the fittings would be there. Um, for the record. I had to go to the store also and buy some fittings. However, it's no big deal. They're like three bucks and you had to get a hose. So I hooked up to the boat and I had to hooked it into my live well pump. So to turn this thing on, I have to turn the live well pump on and then I turn the switch on to this pump and then it fills up this giant garden hose, collapsible garden hose. And I get like a power washer on my boat. And so now every time I go fishing or I go out playing on the boat, I can clean the boat off. It seems like not a big deal. Now, I've been bringing my dog, now i got a new puppy too, my dogs on the boat every day since getting this washdown pump. And you know what the problem is? They won't poop on the boat, so I can't even test it for what I bought it for. I may never know if this is any good or not. I'm happy with it, but I might not know if it does the job I want to do until another steamer gets dropped on my deck of my boat. So uh, that is my product review for the <laughs> for the Jabsco Hotshot 5.05 GPH washdown pump from Amazon. And I think, how much did I pay for that? I paid, I think, $125 bucks roughly for it, including shipping from Amazon. And I'm happy that I did it. So that is my product review. Mm-hmm. And next up, we're joined by Doc Martin, our very own Doc Martin and she has a little uh she, she, doc doc is a if you don't know doc she does all the things so she's a fish doctor not well she's a scientist and she's a teacher she's a professor and she's also a musician and plays guitar and sings and all that stuff and she loves writing science parodies so she sent this to me a little while back and I haven't had a chance to use it yet I'm going to use it today and this is her parody uh, on on REIT. and if you don't know what REIT is you should look it up because I had to as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it right now. I'm gonna look up REIT with you. We're gonna, we're gonna Google what is REIT. And I did this earlier today and I forgot to save the page. <laughs> so, but uh, but she's the question is how do you say it is the real is the real trick. But it's a network of blood vessels and nerves, an anatomical part uh, resembling uh, a network rotating cutaway plate to or overlay or an. I wish I hadn't to started to read this, <laughs> but basically it's a network of blood vessels. But how do you say it? It's spelled R-E-T-E. Is it reet? Is it or Rete? Is it Latin? Is it a good Scrabble word? I don't know. Maybe Doc does. Here's Doc Martin, our, our chief science correspondent and now our chief song correspondent also with her rendition of REET. Thanks. Take it away, Doc. <laughs>
6: Re-temerabile Re-mirabile
5: Re-temerabile
6: Re-mirabilly Re-timemirapelly Re-tiemirabilly Re-tiemirabile Whatever The fish is buying.
1: So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big fat thank you to the Crappy Hippie and to Lazy Cody. Big thank you to Doc Martin for her rendition of Reet. Huge thanks to Wally Pleasant for our theme music and Diana's Bath Salt for our, uh, our news theme music. And so until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached and swim against the current every chance you get. And I'm going to play our theme and then I'm going to play, I'm going to sneak in a real song. Don't tell anybody, but I'm going to play Jellyfish Heaven for you also in honor of our jellyfish story. So stay tuned.
0: Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds. podcast just for the hell of it fried in a basket or broiled in a pan eat it raw like you're in siam fish nerds
1: fish nerds fish nerds it's a podcast <laughs> now let's see if this works this is my favorite band as a kid the dead milkman i might sing along a little bit because why not Jellyfish heaven, where jellyfish go, to get away from Mormons and drunk Eskimos, jellyfish heaven, is for the lot, like L.A. If you are bad, you'll go to hell, then jellyfish will sting you and your body will smell, jellyfish where it's too cold to surf and it's too warm to ski, jellyfish heaven It's full of dead jellyfish. People
6: always saying, I want a jellyfish, cause they ain't got no bones.
1: And you can't make no wish. People
6: always shouting over swimming near those things, but when they're
1: is dying, you can hear them sting. Jellyfish heaven is not like Japan. Jellyfish heaven is not like Thailand. Jellyfish heaven is a lot like LA. Isn't that nice? please don't sue us that's a dead milkman by the way one of my favorite bands of all time thanks for listening
2: to the fish Nerd. (laughs) when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer mail checks invoices documents and everything you need to keep your business running